morning. Um, this is the first in a hopefully a series of Zoom webinars we'll have with a lot of um, high-profile figures from around the Commonwealth. Um, tonight um, we have um, John Baird with us, who served as um, Canadian Foreign Affairs Minister in a variety of other roles over the years in Canadian government. Um, now works in the in the private sector, but is still um, um, involved in kind of Conservative Party politics in in Canada. Um, but um, I think um, tonight we'll, we'll we'll kind of cover a variety of topics. It'll be kind of a mod moderated discussion, um, kind of I guess um, from. Um, Mr. Baird's time as Foreign Affairs Minister to kind of how the the Commonwealth is in 2020 and how it might um, progress beyond kind of the impact of COVID-19. Um, I'll, I'll pass you over to Sunil Sharma now, who's our Chief um, Operating Officer, who will be um, doing most of the moderation of, of the evening. Um, Sunil? Thank you, Paul. Uh, hello, everyone. My name is Snil Sharma and I'd like to welcome you to today's webinar. Like Paul said, this is part of a series of webinars hosted by the Conservative Friends of Commonwealth um, with influential Conservative thinkers across the Commonwealth. I want to point out that a recorded version of this webinar will be available shortly after the end of the broadcast. Um, so today our, our webinar is with the Honourable John R. Baird. He served as Canadian Foreign Minister uh, foreign Affairs, sorry, from 2011 to 2015. But before we begin our chat with John Baird, uh, we are also joined by Helen Grant, our parliamentary chair, uh, who has been a Conservative MP for uh, Maidstone and the Wild since 2010. So good evening, Helen. Good, good evening, Sunil, and thank you very much for, for that introduction. And it's really great to be with you all virtually uh, this evening at this <coughs> very special Conservative Friends of BR, um, and it's great to, to have John uh, with us too. We really look forward to hearing uh, what he has to say uh, later. Uh, I'd also uh, like to say how absolutely de delighted I am to, to be the new Parliamentary Chair for the Conservative Friends uh, of the Commonwealth. I'm hugely excited to be taking on this role at, at what I think is a very special time um, uh, for, for the UK's relationship with the, com uh, with, with the Commonwealth. In fact, I don't think it's ever been as important. And I, I believe too, as we uh, leave the European Union, I think the Commonwealth should be the cornerstone for that outward looking global Britain that, that, that the Prime Minister uh, talks about uh, constantly and that really is a, a very important part of his vision. I think there is much that we can do together uh, by way of promoting free trade, d democracy and the rule of law. And uh, I, I do passionately believe that a, a strong Great Britain actively engaged with a strong uh, and uh, an influential Commonwealth is, is very good for the Commonwealth, it's good for Britain and it's, it's good as well for the, for the world over. So I'm therefore looking forward to doing everything I can to, to champion that relationship, both inside the UK 
uh, Parliament uh, and, and outside in, in the cr crucial days and weeks and, and, and months to, to come. Uh, but I'm not going to say any more. That's quite, it, quite enough uh, from, from me for now because we're all looking forward to, to hearing from, from John. So I'm going to hand back to, to Sunil and, and Paul uh, to, to introduce him. Thank you. Thank you, Helen. We, we appreciate the time you've, you've taken today and uh, speaking to us and I'm sure we'll be um, seeing you again in the near future. Um, back to the main event, we have with us John Arbed, who, as many of you may know, he has been an instrumental figure in bilateral trade. He's played a leading role in Canada-China dialogue. He's worked to build ties with Association of South East Asian Nations. In addition to this, John Baird has worked closely with international leaders to strengthen their security and economic ties with both United States and Middle Eastern countries. Um, Baird has an extensive uh, political CV. He spent three terms as a member of parliament, uh, four years as foreign affairs minister. He also served as president of the treasury board, minister of the environment, minister of uh, transport and infrastructure, and the leader of government in the House of Commons. John, we're delighted to have you with us today. Um, I thought it'd be good to kick things off with your reflection on your time as Foreign Affairs Minister and your sort of general dealings with the Commonwealth. Great. Well, thank you very much. I'm very thrilled uh, to be with you. <clears throat> I'm especially thrilled to, uh, to meet Helen and to, uh, to hear from her. I am very much an Anglophile. I love uh, London. I love England. I uh, love the United Kingdom and visit as often as I can. And it's probably been one of the worst things about COVID-19 is I haven't been able to uh, fly across the pond and see, uh, and see friends. When I uh, first became uh, foreign minister in 2011, William Haig was one of the first colleagues that uh, called me and he said, uh, uh, John, it's a very interesting time to be foreign affairs minister. And uh, he couldn't have been uh, more right. Uh, the upheaval in the uh, Middle East uh, with the war in uh, Libya, with the uh, humanitarian crisis in uh, Syria, uh, and uh, the looming threat that uh, Iran posed. It was uh, definitely a fascinating time to become uh, involved in, uh, in foreign policy in a, major, uh, in a major way. It was also <clears throat> an interesting time to, uh, with respect to uh, the Commonwealth. Uh, I wish uh, Baroness Scotland well in all that uh, she's doing to, uh, to try to uh, reform the, uh, the Commonwealth. So I'll perhaps talk about my time before 2015 and not, uh, and not make any negative comments uh, on the good work that, uh, that she is doing. Well, we had an eminent persons report that uh, uh, had uh, that reported back when I was a minister in Canada had uh, Hugh Siegel, who was a Canadian senator and a good friend of mine, uh, represented on it. And then uh, shortly after I, uh, I became foreign minister, I joined the uh, Commonwealth Ministerial Action Group. Uh, and we made a really uh, big attempt to, uh, to try to, uh, to reform the Commonwealth, to try to uh, to push that eminent person's uh, report, particularly with respect to uh, human rights and uh, liberal democracy. I, I'm re I regret to say that uh, we weren't particularly successful. Uh, the report was not well received by the Commonwealth Secretariat and the former uh, Secretary General, and uh, precious little of it, unfortunately, was, uh, was, uh, uh, was implemented. And I think we did uh, fail uh, to, uh, to tackle the, uh, the issue of Sri Lanka. Canada and our Prime Minister took a very hard line against Rajapaksa and his regime about the war crimes that took place at the end of the Civil War and the authoritarian trend that existed in Sri Lanka. It was for that reason that we pushed 
that they're uh, they're hosting the uh, Shogun uh, be delayed, <clears throat> which it was, and I think it gave them an excellent opportunity to uh, to try to uh, reform and clean up their act. Uh, regrettably, that did not happen. Uh, the Prime Minister of Canada boycotted the summit. We sent uh, a more junior colleague uh, outside of the cabinet to, uh, to represent Canada. And at the end of the day, uh, it was, I think I was very proud of the Commonwealth in that a majority of heads of government did not attend uh, Chogum, uh, which I think sent a, a very powerful message to, uh, to the government in, uh, in Colombo and to, <clears throat> frankly, the world. Um, and I think uh, Stephen Harper's uh, strong stance uh, was uh, was validated by the uh, the, uh, the lack of turnout. I think the Commonwealth. Uh, there's one big word for it: uh, great potential. Uh, I was thrilled when the Commonwealth leaders uh, approved uh, Her Majesty's succession plan that uh, Prince Charles, when he ascends the throne, uh, will become uh, the uh, the leader of the Commonwealth. We were uh, very supportive and thrilled with that uh, decision. I think for the United Kingdom. Uh, we uh, have a, a huge opportunity uh, for the United Kingdom in this uh, in this uh, you know G zero world, as I call it, where you know the United States is uh, retreating, um, and I think there's a real opportunity for the uh, British government and the British Prime Minister to take a, a stronger leadership role and to, uh, as uh, Chancellor Merkel, uh, you know, had her long exit from uh, from European politics and global affairs. Uh, the Prime Minister of the United Kingdom, I think, has a real opportunity to become, uh, you know, the de facto leader of the uh, of the free world, and it can certainly start, uh, you know, uh, with strong leadership uh, for the Commonwealth, pushing those things that uh, Helen mentioned: uh, the rule of law, you know, human rights, uh, democracy, uh, trying to promote <coughs> the um, the uh, those uh, type of values, which I think should be one of the pre chief um, chief missions of the uh, of the Commonwealth. Uh, Finally, I'd also like to say a bit of words about uh, Canada-UK uh, relations. <clears throat> Despite uh, Conservatives not being in power, the one area where the current government has done a very good job is uh, following through on Conservative leadership with respect to free trade. Uh, the uh, now Deputy Prime Minister uh, personally saved the uh, Canada-EU trade deal and it looked like it was going south after it was successfully negotiated. Um, and that's uh, great news for, uh, for us. And I, I don't think, frankly, there could be, it took many, many years to negotiate this. I frankly think <clears throat> if Canada and the United Kingdom couldn't come to the table with a spirit of goodwill uh, and couldn't expeditiously negotiate a comprehensive, forward-leaning free trade agreement, I don't think, I don't know who, uh, who uh, what other two countries in the world could do it. And I do hope that those uh, discussions are going well. And frankly, could they could be a model uh, for uh, the uh, attempted uh, free trade negotiations with, uh, with the United States. There's huge amount of goodwill in uh, both Canada and the United States uh, for the uh, United Kingdom. Uh, I think we all want to see, regardless of what we thought about uh, the European Union, we obviously want to see the United Kingdom flourish uh, and thrive outside of it uh, economically. Uh, and uh, I think uh, you find a lot of support for a free trade uh, deal with, uh, with Canada. Frankly, even the whole idea of bringing the United Kingdom into NAFTA, uh, we would be, uh, we would be uh, very, open, uh, very open to that among, uh, at least among conservative thinkers. We have a leadership campaign going on, and then I'll, 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 I'll turn it over, we can have more of a discussion. We have a conservative leadership campaign uh, going on. I have two former cabinet colleagues that are uh, leading the pact, and one of them will be elected on August the 20th. <clears throat> Both of them have strongly spoken out about uh, their support for Canada-UK uh, trade deal, which is uh, which is great news uh, for the uh, for the relationship, 
and uh, you'll see uh, continue from the Conservative Party at least continue strong support for the Commonwealth uh, and uh, for the monarchy, even if we have to share it with you. Thanks, John. Uh, I think one thing that I kind of wanted to pick up on that you kind of just mentioned there at the end um, was to do with the Conservative Party in in Canada at the moment. Obviously, last year, kind of just won the popular vote, but didn't make the the kind of breakthrough needed to come back into government. I kind of guess from your perspective, kind of where did it kind of go wrong and, and kind of what is the, what do you think personally, is, do you think the outlook is positive for the future of the party with the leadership <clears throat> contenders kind of around at the moment? Well, I'm the one to ask because our leader, uh, Andrew Shear, after the uh, unsuccessful election asked me to, uh, to lead the review of, uh, of what happened. Um, I mean, I think, I think our leader performed well. Um, we obviously picked up uh, more than 25 seats in the House of Commons. We won the popular vote. Uh, we did extraordinarily well in uh, the West. Uh, we were able to keep a big foothold in Quebec, which is not uh, normal for, um, for our party, where, we've, um, where we haven't done well uh, in years past. Um, uh, <clears throat> I think we, uh, we struggled on a number of issues. In Canada, uh, social conservatism uh, is, the, uh, is, the, um, is like the NHS is in, uh, in the United Kingdom. Uh, there's always a concern that uh, you know you've, uh, that uh, the Conservative Party will you know end gay rights or end um, uh, end abortion rights, and uh, these were exploited very effectively by the uh, by the Liberal Party unfairly, in my opinion. Our leader had been absolutely clear that he had uh, no intention to reopen uh, either uh, issue. Um, in fact, the Conservative Party dropped its opposition to same-sex marriage years ago, um, and Stephen Harper was in government for a decade and didn't open. Uh, uh, didn't open the abortion issue uh, either. <clears throat> so that was a big uh, reason. Uh, we did a very good job on digital media. Um, we have a lot to learn from you. I did get together with the Conservative Party chairman and uh, one of the, your, your, the leader of your digital campaign. Uh, I think we did really well in Canada, but you guys were at a different level. So I think we can, uh, we can, uh, we can do better. Uh, we can do better there. Um, where we really struggled is uh, in the greater Toronto area. Uh, to, uh, to pick up seats. We actually lost a, a seat or two in the greater Toronto area and uh, appealing to suburban and urban voters uh, is, uh, has got to be a huge, huge priority uh, for us. Uh, and that's where we, uh, we fell short. Thanks for that, John. I mean, under the sort of current circumstances, it's hard not to mention COVID-19. Um, Canada's COVID-19 cases um, have surpassed 100,000 now, the, the death toll is over um, 8,000, close to 9,000. How well do you think the current administration has dealt uh, with the virus? Well, I'll, I'll, <clears throat> I'll use two examples. Uh, healthcare in Canada is entirely uh, operated by the provincial governments. The federal government writes a check, I think, for 12 or 13 uh, percent annually. Uh, but the federal government you know, doesn't uh, operate a hospital, doesn't uh, operate any direct public health. Um, I think uh, Trudeau was very, very slow closing the borders, and that was a problem. But I think the provincial governments in Canada have uh, been extraordinarily well. And I'm from Ontario province, where I served in the Ontario parliament for 10 years. Uh, our conservative government here has done an extraordinary job. Um, they've done just about everything right. And uh, the premier's 
polling numbers were atrociously low in uh, February. But I think through his daily briefings uh, and his uh, sound management of the crisis, uh, people, A, have got to see the guy up close and they like him personally, and B, they've all of a sudden seen that he's uh, he's quite competent and has a lot of competent uh, government. In it. So I think, uh, I think it's gone well. Trudeau's numbers absolutely soared, as did most leaders of uh, the provincial governments. Um, but we have another uh, big liberal entitlement corruption scandal that's uh, taking place right now. So they've fallen back to uh, fallen back to earth. Uh, we have a uh, because you're conservatives, I can uh, report in about what the liberals are up to here. Uh, it was uh, the liberal government tried to give an eight hundred million dollar contract to a children's to a student children's charity uh, to manage a student uh, uh, summer job program. And uh, it's suddenly revealed that, oh, uh, the prime minister's mother has received almost $300,000 from the group since Justin became prime minister. And she received nothing before. And uh, our billionaire finance minister revealed, oh, he didn't realize he had taken two free trips for he and his family uh, on, behalf, on this charity. And he had to pay, write a check back for $41,000, which was uh, you know, quite extraordinary. So we have tomorrow, uh, unprecedented in Canadian parliamentary democracy, um, in the modern era, the Prime Minister is appearing before uh, a committee of the House of Commons to, uh, uh, he will be found guilty uh, for the fourth time of breaking the law on ethics. And uh, the Finance Minister will be found guilty for the uh, uh, fourth time when he gets two more charges that are being investigated now. Um, I, when I was uh, President of the Treasury Board, uh, me and uh, the current finance critic, that uh, was my parliamentary secretary, we brought in the most comprehensive ethics reform in Canadian history to try to tackle uh, liberal entitlement and liberal corruption. And uh, you know, five years into this new government, they're uh, right back to their, uh, their old ways. You know, it's, it's interesting, again, talking of Justin Trudeau, I, I mean, um, one of the sort of contentious topics is China. It's, it's been well documented how you were able to build stronger and closer ties to China. Um, but we've seen with this current administration, long before COVID, how that relationship has been deteriorating and going, some are going as far as suggesting almost a future Cold War between the two countries. Um, we've seen ex-Canadian uh, Prime Minister Brian Mulroney urging a, a rethink on the China-Canada relationship. What's your take on that situation? Um, well, the government, um, I, I give the government high good marks. I think Justin Trudeau's government's done a great job on free trade. Uh, I think they did a competent job for the first 18 months dealing with the renegotiation of NAFTA by and large. So, you know, there's some good things he's done. Uh, China's been a disaster. <clears throat> he went to China to launch free trade talks uh, two and a half years ago, and at the last moment uh, told Premier Lee that he wanted a progressive trade agenda with labor rights and women's rights in the trade deal. And they were just infuriated that he, uh, that he jammed them at the last minute with this and sent them home with no launch of the free trade discussions. That angered them. Uh, the Canadian government turned down the takeover of a construction company by a state-owned enterprise. That angered them. And then when we signed the renegotiated NAFTA, they had a poison pill saying that uh, Canada couldn't even launch free trade discussions with Canada unless Donald Trump approved. Uh, and that was, the, that was the last straw. And then there was the uh, arrest of Madame Meng, the CFO of Huawei who was arrested in Canada and is winning extradition to the United States. And um, the prime minister was very big on saying that he knew about it in advance. Then all these prominent liberals came out and said, oh, we should have tipped off the Chinese. And then uh, the prime minister was having dinner with President Xi three hours after this happened at the G20 in Buenos Aires and didn't mention it. And uh, he's very, obviously very close to Madame Meng and the, uh, the, the, the Huawei founder, her father. 
So our, the relationship with China and Canada is at an all-time uh, low. Uh, and then we've got the uh, the other challenge of uh, two detained Canadians, which the government's been working very hard to try to get out with no luck. And now we have, whether it's, um, we have 350,000 Canadian citizens living in Hong Kong. Um, and so the, what's going on in Hong Kong is of huge interest to Canada. Uh, then obviously the, um, the, uh, uh, the construction of the islands and then the whole COVID crisis. <clears throat> I really do fear that not just Canada, but the, that the West is like slowly uh, going into a, a cold war with China. And uh, the last thing the world needs is another cold war with an arms buildup. Uh, I want to see us have uh, strong relations with China to pursue international peace and security. And uh, we can't have, when you have a, a global trade war, which I do fear is coming from the United States and China. Um, this is how uh, recessions turn into depressions. And uh, uh, we need, uh, I think we need some more adults in the room to try to uh, rebuild ties. Uh, we've got to approach China with both eyes wide open. Um, you know, uh, we share common interests, but we don't share common values. Uh, and if, um, if countries like Canada and the United Kingdom only dealt with people who shared their values, it would be a uh, you, you probably only would have embassies in 30 or 40 countries because most don't uh, share our, the fundamental values that uh, define who we are as uh, Canadians and uh, as British, uh, uh, as Brits. I guess, kind of, you mentioned um, the US as well, and I, and I kind of, I think, Trump and Trudeau are kind of not, not seen eye, eye to eye. Um, uh, a lot of the time, I guess, the past uh, three, four years um, since. Obviously. I actually thought, I actually thought uh, Trudeau did a pretty decent job in managing relations with, with Trump for the first 18 months and with the renegotiation of NAFTA. And I'm glad because I wanted to succeed. Um, you know, I want my country to succeed. But uh, Trump is a very tough cookie to, uh, to establish a relationship with. Uh, you know, precious few have uh, been successful uh, at it, certainly over the past three and a half years. Um, uh, the United Kingdom uh, uh, has, uh, I think, has a relatively good relationship and, and good on you. Um, do you think um, if um, Joe Biden were to come in in November, that would be a, kind of a good thing for U.S.-Canada relations long, long term? Or I think certainly Biden and Trudeau would be able to work better together. They're both progressives, uh, politically correct. Um, uh, I like Joe Biden. I think he's a great guy. Um, He's a moderate, but he's being pulled so far to the left by factions within his party that it scares me. Um, the challenge we have with the United States, and this happened under President Obama, and it certainly happened under President Trump, is they're not a reliable friend and ally for us. We can't count on them. Um, when I was a uh, foreign minister, like William Hague was a completely reliable friend, and the United Kingdom was a completely reliable friend and ally. I found Hillary and John Kerry, generally, with the exception of the environment and John Kerry, uh, was a reliable friend and ally of us, but the uh, the president certainly wasn't, and uh, that's a real problem for us. That's why we need to. Uh, that's why we need to, uh, you know, improve our relationship with uh, with the UK and the EU uh, to have stronger uh, ties. I think um, kind of mentioning the EU, one thing I guess people would be quite interested in the UK at the moment is that I know you were obviously involved um, kind of at the outset of the negotiations under the Canada. EU kind of trade agreement um, and that obviously took I think seven years in the end to kind of finally kind of sign on the 
dotted line. I wondered if you kind of had any insights of kind of your dealings with the EU as a as an entity and kind of how. At the end, it took the Prime Minister and um, the President of the Commission to personally get together and push it over the finishing line. It's a real challenge when you're dealing with, uh, what, 28 different uh, governments plus the Commission and the Parliament. It is a huge challenge. And then, of course, it almost went south, and thank goodness uh, uh, the, uh, the Trudeau government was able to, uh, to rescue it. Uh, it's really, really tough dealing with you know, that mammoth. Of, of course, when you seven years, you have a free trade deal with 28 countries, which is phenomenal for us. Um, and the EU and Canada, you know, fundamentally share the same values, um, uh, which, uh, which makes it a great, uh, a great partner. And I, I would think though, if you took the Canada EU trade deal as a baseline, uh, I've got to believe that Canada and the UK could, uh, uh could quit, yeah, and UK could quickly come to a deal, um, I don't, I don't know whether, I don't think, uh, was it, fluorinated chicken or bleached chicken or something that I hear there's a big deal with the United States. I don't think we'd get caught up in those type of issues. Talking of trade and um, UK and, and Canada, you know, it, the comprehensive and progressive agreement for Trans-Pacific Partnership, uh, which we obviously saw replaced the uh, TTP, it's been gaining a lot more traction in the UK. Um, what are your, your thoughts on the agreement and what role do you see that playing, especially as we, we've talked about, um, we're seeing a rise in protectionist policies across the globe. Um, so I just wanted to know a bit more of your thoughts on the CPTPP and whether uh, the UK joining it is a good idea or uh, how that would work. Well, we, uh, we were able to announce the successful completion of that two weeks before election day. And it was a great, uh, a great accomplishment by Prime Minister Harper. And then, in fairness, the, uh, the Liberal Minister Champagne was able to save it when the United States uh, withdrew. Um, I think it's fantastic. I mean, I, I want to see us have a good, strong, uh, robust relationship with China. Um, having said that, part of your China strategy should be diversification with, uh, with other countries in, in the region. So we negotiated a free trade deal first with South Korea. But the TPP for, for Canada is all about free trade with Japan and Vietnam, particularly, which are um, obviously one is the third largest economy, the other is an emerging powerhouse. Um, so I, I'm very big with uh, Canada-Asia relations. And uh, frankly, um, the, uh, the, if, if Canada, the UK and Australia and New Zealand could all uh, sign on initially to this, um, you know, I think, uh, I think the UK would be a natural to, if we wanted to expand it, given Australia, New Zealand, and Canada are all uh, in it. And I got to believe there'd be a, a good amount of support because obviously the UK has, has good relations with Japan, has good relationships with uh, Singapore and Brunei, uh, as common, uh, the latter two being Commonwealth countries. So it's, uh, uh, it's, uh, you'd, in my opinion, would be, uh, would be very welcome. And, you know, and I hope, I hope Canada can play a facilitating role to uh, assist if the UK is interested in integrating into these deals. Um, on the subject of trade, we had a, had a, a question in actually, which, which I think is probably worth answering now whilst we're on the topic from um, Harry Hanlon. He says, how did you find dealing with, with India and their protective nature over their, their economy? I, uh, I, uh, I, we had a great relationship with Prime Minister Singh. Uh, we had a great relationship with uh, Prime Minister Modi. Uh, we, um, we improved relationships a lot. Um, but India is just so protectionist. We had, we had for year, I think we had for five or six years negotiations on a free trade deal that never went anywhere. When Modi first got elected, I visited uh, Delhi 
and I'm meeting with uh, the foreign minister and, uh, and her team. And by like, like the Westminster system, uh, like Canada and UK have, the, the officials all stay the same. And uh, the foreign minister saying, well, we're very enthusiastic about negotiating this free trade deal. And literally all the, all the bureaucrats around were like, so it didn't go. It didn't go very far. Um, so I think while we have great, um, while we have great, we had great relations with uh, with India. A free trade deal was not a byproduct of that great relationship. I, mean, I don't think it. Well, they're very protectionist, and you know they've got a billion people, over a billion people, with one three, one point three billion. So they uh, they've we've got such a massive domestic market, um, but we sell a lot of. Um, a lot of agricultural products, like grains and lentils and wheat and so forth. I think one of the, the mentioning Modi, um, often the word populism tends to uh, comp not uh, too far away. Um, in the past couple of years, we, we've seen a rise in populism globally. Um, Canada, it seems, hasn't been uh, immune to this. Um, how, how do you see that affecting Canada in the near future? We're very, uh, we're very fortunate. We haven't seen a lot of populism in this country. We had a break off. The guy who got 49.9% of the vote for the conservative leadership started a right-wing populist party. He, he lost his own seat in parliament. So no other candidate even got close to 5%. And they got less than 2%. And we're also, uh, we're not immune to it, but uh, we've been very fortunate. One of the things, uh, you mentioned Prime Minister Mulroney. Uh, Prime Minister Mulroney brought in free trade with the United States back in the, the 1988. It was, that was the, the, the whole, the, the, the federal election of 1988 was a referendum on his leadership and on that uh, deal. And so we had a big debate about free trade. And since then, Canadians have embraced uh, globalism. Uh, we see it as uh, instrumental to our future economic growth and prosperity. Um, the TPP was announced two weeks before election day. There was barely a ripple in the, in the campaign. Uh, because the protectionist forces uh, are in retreat and uh, and uh, just not strong, so we're very very blessed. You know, when you look at how big the TPP, and even Hillary Clinton came out against the TPP uh, that her president had negotiated, because she could see how far left and anti-globalist her uh, her own party had uh, had become. Uh, so we're we're very blessed. Uh, we don't see that anti-globalism. We don't see the uh, the populism. But you know, we've always got. I think as a as a conservative, as a Tory. I think governments and the Tory parties always got to be mindful to, to bring the people along with you and um, to not let things get out of control. Uh, like illegal immigration, there's a, there's a strong, strong uh, uh, pushback towards it. And when people saw, you know, RCMP police officers helping people coming, uh, fleeing the vicious regime in Vermont through snowbanks walking across the Canadian-Vermont border, uh, that did not impress uh, Canadians. And I think we need to keep those things in check so that we can maintain strong support for globalism, strong support for a uh, very open immigration system. Talking of immigration, uh, I think under your term as um, in government, I think you brought in more immigrants than any other Canadian government at the time. Um, and, you know, and, and that's been applauded and criticized. With the UK leaving the European it's not, Union, it's not criticized uh, that much. I mean, there's very, <laughs> very little criticism. Um, like, really, very, very little. I think in the 2011 election, we actually won the immigrant vote in this country, right. which is unprecedented for a conservative party here. And, um, you know, I just moved from a condominium building that is majority Asian. Um, Toronto, a majority of the people who live in Toronto, the 2.7 million people who live in the city of Toronto proper, were not even born in Canada. 
And I think most Canadians uh, not just are comfortable with that, but they, uh, they embrace it. The, the reason I bring you up, it's, it's quite a contentious issue in the UK. You know, it was cited as a key reason as to why we're leaving the European Union. Um, and we now, in the foreseeable future, will have the ability to control our own immigration policy. Um, so I wanted your thoughts on, do you think the UK would serve well in using a, a similar approach to the Canadian point system? Yeah, absolutely. Um, we, um, uh, I mean, it's not, you know, we need obviously uh, more, we want to have, you know, young people, uh, young people that can integrate well into Canadian society. So the capacity of them to speak English or French is a huge bonus. Uh, but obviously we need more uh, young people to, uh, to fuel economic growth. Uh, and so that's the, that's, and then look at specific trades. Uh, uh, so I think the point system would be a great place to, uh, a great place to start. You know, you don't have to reinvent the wheel. You can look what's worked in other like-minded um, uh, countries. Uh, I know we can, like I said, we, I just talked about we can learn from the Conservative Party in the UK about how they've been successful. Um, so there, and there's certainly things you can, uh, and we've obviously learned a lot from you. We have the Westminster system, we share the same head of state, uh, same, uh, the same liberal democracy, basically. Um, I, I guess, yeah. uh, well, yeah. I guess kind of thinking again about the, the Commonwealth, during your initial remarks, you brought up the, um, the issue of Sri Lanka back in, I think, 2014, that was where um, your government decided to withdraw the funding over the kind of human rights uh, abuses that were occurring in the, the time, at the time there. I think my, my question really is, do you think there's uh, been kind of a, any real change in the way the Commonwealth approaches human rights issues in its member states since then? And like, how, how could they still kind of improve their, their response to issues like that? I just would, I mean, I, I wish Baroness uh, Scotland uh, all the best in the work she's trying to do to reform the, uh, the Commonwealth. It's certainly, I think the Secretary and the former Secretary General uh, fell short. If there was anyone in the Commonwealth who was up to no good, they were the first ones to try to apologize, excuse it. And uh, I think uh, we need to be, uh, we need to speak truth to power. And um, that's, uh, you know, that's one of the values, uh, uh, that's, one of the, that's one of the values that uh, we should try to bring to the, uh, bring to the table. Um, no, that uh, makes sense. And um, one, one of the things that I know it's been uh, quite well talked about was your relationship with Russia. Um, I, I know at the time when you were, um, Foreign Affairs Minister was a particularly testing period. Um, how was that negotiations? How were those talks? I mean, the Ukraine stuff was obviously all going on. Um, it just wanted a bit more thoughts on that. Well, Ukraine is a huge, um, is a huge, hugely important file for uh, the government of Canada, both uh, now and when I was in uh, in office. Uh, matter of fact, our Deputy Prime Minister, who was the Foreign Minister, is Ukrainian. She uh, speaks Ukrainian. She has families in Kyiv. And um, I think there, there's been no change in policy with uh, the current government and the former government. So we took a pretty hard line when uh, they uh, uh, you know, tried to redraw the borders of Europe and then uh, you know, uh, annexed Crimea and then occupied um, uh, Eastern uh, Ukraine. Um, uh, it's just not acceptable in this, uh, in this century uh, for one country to brute force to redraw the borders of Europe. We saw the damage that did in the last century. And that um, that had a huge effect on the uh, on the Canada Russia relationship. 
uh, frankly, so did their, um, their human rights records, particularly with respect to uh, sexual orientation. Um, Russia uh, is obviously taking a, a more strident path, uh, which uh, I'm not certainly comfortable with. Um, the one thing, the Russian foreign minister, Sergei Lavrov, is, um, I don't agree with his policies, but he's an incredibly smart, uh, incredibly experienced guy who uh, knows what he's doing. And uh, uh, he's got, uh, he's been there for so long. He, uh, I've never seen anyone who could, you know, recite facts from, you know, three centuries ago to justify some of the actions that, uh, that he's taken. So our relationship with Russia uh, soured considerably. Um, with uh, with the gay rights issue, and then and then more profoundly with uh, with Ukraine. Canada was the first Western country to recognize the uh, independence of Ukraine, um, and uh, we have a large uh, uh, Ukrainian community in Canada, which makes it a top political concern. Um, sort of going back towards uh, your earlier comments on Boris Johnson, I, I, I've heard you say in the past where you believe you know, Boris Johnson has the capacity to be the sort of the next leader of the free world, especially with um, the direction the United States of America are heading in. Um, I want to hear more of your thoughts on Boris Johnson, how you think he's doing under um, his current leadership and uh, has much of your opinion changed during the COVID situation or is it still sort of just similar? My, my, uh, I, um, I thought the, uh, the campaign, the, his campaign was brilliant, uh, uh, simple and successful. Uh, he, uh, took big risks, uh, which leaders have to, to be successful. And uh, um, I think uh, I, I I'd be a huge Euro skeptic. I probably would have voted Remain, uh, but the country couldn't go on just being paralyzed with, uh, with that issue. And it took his leadership to, uh, and you know, it, was, it was not pretty some days, it was pretty ugly, but uh, at least he was able to, uh, to bring closure to it and hopefully the United Kingdom can uh, move on. And uh, and be prosperous uh, going forward. Talking of EU, um, where do you think the EU is heading? You know, do you think it's reached its peak and it's going to start to plummet? I, or I, what? if I was if I was uh, like Helen, a Tory MP, I would be just the, the the constant need to try to expand power and authority in Brussels uh, is nauseating. I mean, the day after the uh, referendum results in the United Kingdom, I noticed Juncker um, uh, saying, well, now we can take this experiment even farther. And I don't note that there are seven countries which are more Eurosceptic than the United Kingdom. Um, and I thought these guys just don't get it. Um, I do think, though, the EU is a powerful force for good in the world. It's like having, you know, having a you know, 500 million person block uh, with the same values that you know, Canada and the United States uh, have is a really powerful force for good in the world. And I had a, when I was um, minister, I had an excellent relationship with Baroness Ashton, uh, huge respect for, uh, for her and worked really well with the, the EU. So I'm a, I'm a Eurosceptic fan of the EU. How do I say that? But I don't, of course they don't have to, they don't, the Canadian parliament isn't giving up sovereignty to it like the UK parliament had to. I do think it is, you know, every single reform that, uh, Eurosceptics in the UK had about the EU at one point the British government agreed to, um, which um, I, I do think the, the, the challenge for the UK if they had voted to remain was at every single meeting when people want to 
further centralized, take the experiment further, the UK will be would be the skunk of the garden party, uh, you know, pushing back. So it's not a not a not a not it wouldn't be it wouldn't have been a healthy marriage had they voted to remain, in my opinion. So I, I think there's strong arguments on both sides. Again, you know, we, we touched on it earlier about the, the seven years it took for the, the agreement with the EU to um, take in place. And I know you've mentioned how, you know, you think uh, Canada and UK have the ability to, you know, have a trade agreement in place fairly uh, sharpish. Um, what, what obstacles do you see in a, a Canada-UK trade deal, if any? Um, and how would... <clears throat> How would you play um, if you were still in charge that relationship? If I was uh, Prime Minister of Canada today, I'd meet with Boris Johnson and say, can we both make a personal commitment? We're going to instruct our negotiators um, uh, to get to work and set a deadline and get this done. Uh, I think he's going to need leadership from the top. I have to say, as a conservative, I'm always wary of the bureaucracy. Um, but our trade officials in Canada are extraordinary people. Like they, we've just done the renegotiated NAFTA, EU, TPP. So they're at the top of their game. They're uh, they're they're probably the, one of the best bureaucracies. That 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 that, uh, that public policy area is probably our strongest, one of our strongest bureaucracies. They just they're phenomenally successful, and a lot of confidence at the political level with them. And they've served Canada well in the previous and the current government. I think it's good. It does take leadership from the top. I, I mean, it's good to hear your sort of take on that. Um, one of the things that we, we've, we've got a question coming in, you're obviously a foreign uh, minister at a very challenging time in 2011. You know, you're still recovering from the financial crisis. You had the Arab Springs, period of war. Um, what would you say uh, were some of your memorable experiences? And would you consider returning to politics at some stage? Uh, I'm in recovery. Uh, on the politics. I'm a recovering politician. Um, uh, I'm only out, uh, I'm only out five years, so I, uh, it's too soon to think about that. Uh, I, uh, I was encouraged to seek the leadership of the Conservative Party. And I, I suspect I could have won, but uh, I made the decision that I'm a happy man. I uh, served in 10 different cabinet jobs, 10 years in Ontario politics, 10 years in Canadian politics. Uh, that was a good run. And uh, I think too many people stay for too long. And uh, that's not a good thing. Uh, it's better to, to leave while the crowd is still cheering. Um, I think as foreign minister, um, I was uh, really proud that we could be a staunch uh, and strong supporter of Israel, but have incredibly good relations with the Sunni Arab world. Um, that's a great accomplishment. We were able to dramatically increase the, uh, the relationship with Beijing and get a lot of things done for Canadians, you know, nuclear cooperation deal, foreign protection promotion agreement. Uh, we were able to get uh, better access for Canadian agricultural exports and R&B trading hub in Canada. Uh, it's uh, and I could go on. There was just a lot of uh, a lot we were able to accomplish. Um, uh, but also uh, the relationship with the, the Five Eyes will always be the strongest part of uh, foreign policy for Canada. You know, the UK, the United States, Australia, New Zealand. Those are you know those are probably the uh, the, the countries that uh, we share most of interests and values with. Uh, and they were incredibly strong, frankly, under labor or um, under labor or uh, conservative governments. Uh, I get along very well with Tony Blair. Um, I get along very well with Kevin Rudd in the United Kingdom. And uh, we, sh we share so many of the same values that the, the labels and the domestic politics doesn't, uh, never got in the way, which I think is great. Well, um well, finally, as we sort of begin to wrap things up, um, I want to sort of 
final sort of comments on, you know, UK, Canada, future relations and generally the Commonwealth, you know, we heard Helen Grant talk about it um, before about the role that Commonwealth can play, especially in the UK, considering we have Brexit. Um, I wanted to, yeah, sort of get your final thoughts on Canada's future with the, the Commonwealth and uh, where the UK in the next five, 10 years fits in. Part of that. Well, you know, the uh, there, there's uh, UK can provide uh, you know leadership that no one else can provide, based on uh, the historic reality. Uh, and uh, I'd like to see the UK and Canada step up their engagement with the uh, with the Commonwealth. Um, uh, in my time there, the um, uh, our success was uh, was lacking and wanting, uh, but uh, hopefully in the post EU. Period for the UK that can be a uh, that can be a place we can get to put more energy and get more success. Um, I think it has great uh, great uh, potential, particularly on the interests and on the values uh, side. And you look at you look at um, you look at uh, countries uh, uh, in the Commonwealth. You look at uh, Nigeria, uh, the huge potential uh, there. Uh, you look at uh, at. Uh, the growth that's been anticipated in uh, in Africa. Uh, you look at the powerhouse that is India. Uh, huge, huge, uh, huge potential. Yeah, definitely. I think um, there's a lot of scope there in the Commonwealth um, for other countries to outside of the kind of the UK, the Canada's, the Australia, New Zealand to step up and take more of a leading role, especially especially India and Nigerian countries like that. Um, I think now though, um, running out of time is pretty kind of just to wrap things up. I just want to say thank you so much, John, for your time this evening. It's been a quite a wide-ranging kind of um, discussion, not just about the Commonwealth, obviously, but um, around um, Canada as well. And I um, just want to say thank you to everyone for joining. Um, like we said earlier, this is first in a series of webinars. Um, we've got another one on the 11th of August with uh, Malcolm Turnbull. Um, and just wanna, we, something we want to do is get um, more perspective like John's from around the Commonwealth, um, not just a UK-based perspective. And um, just thank you once again for everyone. And I'll, I'll, I'll pass back over to Sunil to, to wrap up. Yeah, I'd, I'd like to echo uh, Paul's comments. Um, it's been fantastic having John here speaking with us today. Um, a fantastic insight into the future of the UK and the, and the Commonwealth and, and the role it can play. Um, and it's good to see um, a lot of positivity coming from um, another member state of the Commonwealth. So it's uh, um, pleasing to see. Um, yeah, thank you again, John, uh, for your time. Um, hopefully we can hear from you again sometime soon. Um, and uh, best of luck in the future. Thank you so much for having me. Cheers, John. Cheers. Thanks, everyone. Thanks.